0: Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... night to have a podcast schedule because if you're (laughs) listening to this and you're one of our regular listeners you're probably wondering hey i was promised an episode on terminator 2 don't worry it's coming Uh, We had to reshuffle things, and uh, the whole schedule I've been talking about for a while is completely honked. But that's okay, (laughs) because uh, we're here to talk about uh, a game we had also had kind of in the works, too. So we just uh, pulled a quick audible here. So today we're talking about Simon's Quest, Castlevania II, for the Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, released in Japan in 1987 and the U.S. in 1988. It is, of course, a sequel to the original Castlevania Uh, It's a series that's near and dear to my heart because I love horror stuff, and this was kind of the premier horror game series for a while. Uh, We'll get into all of that and uh, kind of the ins and outs of this very weird entry in the series, uh, but a highly influential one. Uh, So to help me do it, he is uh, one of our regulars, of course. You know him from many past episodes. He is a performer at Westside Comedy Theater here in Los Angeles, and he teaches improv courses if you want to know how to do that stuff. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast, Rich Baker.
1: Thank you, thank you. I got my flame whip, and I got a bunch of different colored crystals <laughs>
0: of, of uh, equal equally valuable usage. We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So, uh, Rich, I, I, this was one on a list of things that you had, you know, floated talking about. Uh, tell me about uh, your love for this game, and, and probably, I guess, the the uh, old school Castlevania series in, in general.
1: Yeah, so this was an example of a game where I played the second one before I played the first one because I got my parents got me my Nintendo like I think like within a month of this game coming out and the Nintendo Power uh uh, uh issue, the famous you know worst voted worst cover second uh, issue had just come out and so i was like oh this is this magazine is all about castlevania too." so i want to buy it so that was like i got to have like three games so that was one of them and i just remember like if it wasn't for the nintendo power i would have thrown that game into the river like I, <laughs> it is so not intuitive at all <laughs> And I'm not a huge fan of those kind of games, but the Nintendo Power uh, issue had everything laid out. So you could literally just walk through the whole thing. So it was like the first game that I beat on Nintendo because
0: Nintendo Power walked me through it. Well, You mentioned Nintendo Power. Uh, definitely, I have. Uh, I had a subscription to that when I was a kid. I have, you know, very fond memories of looking through it because it was a fun magazine to read. Because yes, it was, you know, a promo piece for all of these games, but it had all kinds of other fun features in it. We could probably do an episode just on Nintendo Powers if you ever
1: oh, man, can come man.
0: across one in the wild. They're they're really neat as magazines go. But you're you're talking about this famous cover because this was the second issue of the magazine. The first one was released as a promo for Super Mario Brothers Two. Uh, And this one, you know, which is that one was like a claymation looking version of like Mario jumping with a mushroom or something. It was very tame. This was the main character, Simon Belmont, vampire hunter, hoisting the severed head of Dracula uh, looking really fucking metal. It was really cool. You know, there's a lot of metal Kind of imagery in this series uh, But you're right, that was very evocative I don't know if that was my first exposure to it I remember my my Cousins, my first cousins had Castlevania 1 And I remember mm-hmm. going over there to, to play that And Castlevania 1, and we'll get into the differences But it's a, it's a very different style of game It's exceedingly difficult For very different reasons than this game is difficult yeah. And I remember playing I, But I felt like everybody I knew Had Simon's Quest And uh, because of that, the popularity of the first one. So everyone got Simon's Quest. And I guess we should get into it now. Castlevania 1 is a very straight putt as a game. You basically, you are, there's no story. It's you are Simon Belmont. You hunt vampires. Go kill Dracula. Go from left to right through this obstacle course. Kill the fiends that you encounter with your whip and various other weapons. Get to the end. Kill Dracula credits. Yeah. Right? That's the game. This game takes that sort of same mo- movement and combat engine, and completely changes around the nature of what the gameplay loop is. Yeah, and the the challenge in Simon's Quest is not the combat; it's the opposite. Like the, the challenge in, in usual Castlevania games, it's like how do I you know tra- navigate or traverse this area while all of these different things are harrying me. and you know falling to my death and it's exceedingly you know again the the margins for error are very small and in simon's quest that's not so much the problem The, the enemies are fairly easy you upgrade over time they actually get easier as you go yeah the challenge is figuring out what am i supposed to do
1: exactly right and it's 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 one it's one of those where uh you know you can go left or right you know you start in a town but you know some of the townspeople give you information that helps you, some of them give you complete gibberish, and then there's even some that lie to you and so it's like if you're just i don't have anything but this game and my wits, unless you're an extremely fastidious you know try and fail experimenter, like you're not going to figure this game out
0: yeah, exactly there's some There's some puzzles in here where the leap of logic you have to make is extremely unintuitive. And it's compounded by the fact that some of the difficulty in sussing this stuff out is unintentional because of the way the game was translated from Japanese to English. A few Mm -hmm. of those things actually make a little more sense in the original Japanese. So, for example, famously, there's this spot in the game where to proceed, you, you basically you walk, you know, you're following one of these paths and you mm-hmm. get to the a, a, just a vertical cliff face, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't go any farther. What you are supposed to do is kneel at this cliff face and eventually, uh, after a few seconds of kneeling with it, if you have the necessary crystal, a tornado will come, pick you up, and take you to the next area of the game that you need to get to.
1: Yeah, so random.
0: Well, it feels random. There is a villager who gives you a clue about kneeling and something about a soul right? I forget the exact text of it, but in the Japanese version, it's not soul. The Japanese word is whirlwind or something. Ah. There's, there's a, So there's a couple of points like this in the game where, like, it's even harder just because somebody's translation was just a little subpar.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, and we, if you want to get into like the stuff like that, like, uh, you know, there's missing, there's tiles in the floor that some of them are just, like, you fall through, but, like, there is no warning on which one that is straight trial and error that kind of stuff.
0: Yes, so you'll well maybe we should t- before we even get to some of the yeah, yeah I don't want
1: to yeah you, you, where do we want to start?
0: Yeah, we should start at kind of at what the what the basic loop of this game is. So this sure. is this is the one of the first games in what would come to be known as a genre called Metroidvania, <laughs> and that is a portmanteau of Metroid and Castlevania, largely because of this game and one of its successors that follow this format. A Metroidvania, for people who don't know, is a video game where the structure of it is basically a labyrinth. It's instead of a Mario level, where it's just an obstacle course that you run left to right and complete a level, here it's one large interconnected world that you navigate through. And there are sort of tributaries and branching paths that go off of this. And, in a Metroidvania, you will, by exploring these paths, you'll eventually unlock some sort of ability that allows you to make your way down one of these other paths and past some previously impassable obstacle. So a classic yeah. one would be you're, you're walking through a path and you see that there's a, you know, a ledge up there that you cannot jump high enough to reach. And at some point, you will get an upgrade to your jump that will, will allow you to jump high enough to reach it. And now you can explore whatever goes down that path. Right. yeah, And that that all comes back to the original Metroid for NES and this game, which uses that similar structure.
1: Yeah. And the story behind the game, uh, which is, you know, going going back to the first Castlevania, you know, he, he destroys Dracula. Right. And in this game, I think it's seven years later, the idea that, well, he destroyed Dracula, but Dracula's cursed the land. And so the only way to defile the curse is to gather all Dracula's body parts and burn them. And then the curse can be lifted.
0: Right. So you are exploring this world, making your way from between towns and the wilderness in between. And then there are five mansions that you these kind of haunted mansion areas. You go inside them, you explore them, and eventually you will find one of these body parts that also have a functional use, actually, within the game. Although yep. Really, one of them's useful, the rest are not. But um, you, you find them. And then, again, it's a challenge to figure out, you know, how do I get to these places? Where even are they? Right? It's extremely disorienting to play this game in a way. And I think that's the fun. Like, that's really what makes the the intended experience so great is that feeling of, like, I'm lost in a scary place and I don't know where to go. Like, that, even when the gameplay is, like, not singing, that mood that it sets is so great.
1: Yeah. And uh, we can't talk about the mood in this game without talking about what I think is the best feature. You probably agree with me, at least up there, is the music.
0: Yes and no. I, I think that, well, all of the tracks in the soundtrack by composer Kenichi Matsuraba, um, to credit him, the tracks all slap. My only gripe is that there's not enough of them. Yeah. There's, there's only like nine songs on the soundtrack, and they're all really short loops. So... Yeah. They they're great, but you're going to hear a lot of them. Castlevania soundtracks, by and large, are always really good. I think yeah. uh, the sequel, Castlevania Three, is probably the the top of the pops for that.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah.
0: but they're they're all wonderful. But you're right, and you'll be hearing bits of that soundtrack here and there uh, throughout this episode. The, the probably the most famous track off of it is one called "Bloody Tears." Bloody Tears. That is that track has been used in al- almost every subsequent Castlevania game. They try and you know. No put that motif in somewhere and it's uh, been
1: covered yeah. by so many metal bands
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great well also the title is bloody tears i mean come on yeah. it's just sitting right out there for any metal band to to pick up uh yeah. but the soundtrack serves another function which it feeds into another part of the gameplay loop that's unique is this day night cycle throughout yeah. the game
1: uh i yeah so you start out in the game in the daytime, and without warning, all of a sudden a text screen pops up, everything's frozen, and it says, What a horrible night for a curse. stronger the towns are basically shut down you can't do anything in them and uh you know you've got to wait it out until it becomes daytime again and it does this over constantly unless you're in a mansion which uh it freezes that cycle i believe
0: right no no time passes on the clock while you're inside one of these but it does a lot well, there's a, f- a few things it does. One, it, it changes up the gameplay in a really neat way. As you sort of mentioned, the enemies get stronger, they're not dropping as many hearts, which are the currency of the game. So, and, and the towns, which are normally for respite, are now full of monsters, too. And the day-night cycle works where I believe it, so it's a quote-unquote 24-hour cycle, but really it's 12 minutes of daylight and 12 minutes of darkness. And it alternates between those things, and it serves a secondary function, which is The speed at which you complete the game uh, dictates which ending you get. So if you if you manage to do all of this within eight days in in game clock time, you uh, you get the best ending. But I just love that it was like it was such a neat idea. There's even like puzzles and there are certain things that like things you can do at nighttime that you can't during the daytime and vice versa. And so you have to make sure you're you're in the right place during the right part of the day to make progress.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times at night, at least I remember, just like I felt like I was treading water until daytime so I could go buy something or something like that.
0: Oh, for sure. There were definitely times where I'm like, I'm just gonna there's no enemies on the screen. I can just hunker down here and just wait five minutes for it to turn to daylight and then I can go do what I need to do uh, in in a much easier setting. So uh, the other thing that's kind of unique to the Castle, or not unique to Castlevania, but kind of a hallmark of it is so many games in the NES were about traversal right that was the the whole thing of like you know know, i've got a little guy how do i get my guy from here to there and so like mario for example you can very fine tune his jumping right you can you can change direction in midair you can sort of depending on how hard you hit the button controls how high you go and simon belmont is not like he has a specific parabola and you once you jump you commit to that arc just like in real life uh, yeah. Once you start going, physics will take you the rest of the way. And yeah. so it, the, his movements are much more deliberate and kind of, for lack of a better word, stodgy. And mm-hmm. that really you know, kind of goes with this kind of tense gameplay of like, you're not nimble against yeah. these threats.
1: Yeah, in Super Castlevania 4, uh, they would make him a lot more like his jumping and his whip would go all over the place. But in this, you know, replaying this game and, and the first one, it almost feels like the, (laughs) this character is heavier, you know, is more dense because he just can't go as high.
0: Yeah. He can't jump very high. And like one of the biggest hazards that you will encounter in this game are pits that are like two tiles wide because you have, you just have to make sure if you don't take off at just the right time, you're going right into that pit.
1: Yeah. Not a lot of room for error on those.
0: Yeah, no and then you mentioned those uh areas where there's tiles that are uh invisible, right? They look like it should be the floor and you fall right through them. You yeah. early on in the game you can buy a, a holy water which you throw a couple of feet in front of you and that becomes like you're constantly throwing that cuz so you're like I'm yeah. not going to fall through that, am I? Cuz the 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 bottle of holy water will go through if it's if it's yeah. safe. So that or you watch like an enemy will walk up to the edge of it and then walk away and that's your clue they yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'll fall there. But most of the time, you're right. It's just trial and error. You just plummet. Yeah. And you go, all right, I got to go back up all these stairs again.
1: <laughs> yeah. The thing about dying in the game, which really sucked, is that you lost all your hearts every time you died. And that could be
0: really frustrating. <laughs> Well, you know, I thought about that. It's not, to me, that wasn't that bad because the only tax on that is your time and grinding those hearts again, but it, you lost none of your progress, right? You you can die no. three times and then you hit continue and you, you're literally like right next to that ledge where you fell to death or the enemy that killed you, which yeah. actually felt really great. I'm like, oh good, I can screw up and I can kind of just try again, Groundhog Day style and just get yeah. past this thing again. Um, as opposed to, say, other Castlevania games where it's like, if you die, like, you got to go all the way back to the end- beginning of this level. And if you die enough times and you lose all your continues, game over.
1: That And, and that was one thing that I, I still think that's a great thing about this. And, you know, modern day games, like, they all pretty much are always, like, that's just standard, right? You die, you respawn, you die, you know, that kind of thing. This was pretty groundbreaking back then. And it's one of the reasons why it's one of the only games back in those days that I could actually beat.
0: Yeah, because you kept... You know, you could sort of brute force your way through things and you kept making this incremental forward progress, which is going back to the thing I said at the beginning. The biggest challenge in the game is where am I supposed to go and, and how do I get through it? So you mentioned yeah. the crystal guy. The first like when you start the game, there's a guy standing right in front of you who tells you you should go buy a white crystal and you mm-hmm. buy it. If you equip that crystal when you're in the mansion what looks like an impossible jump that you can't make is suddenly made easier because the white crystal reveals this platform that was invisible. And now you can jump on that and get where you need to go. And that kind of puzzle is there throughout the game. Uh, In addition to some of these other really obtuse ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, so when you get through, with a mansion and the body parts right there, you think, oh, I'm just going to touch it. I'm going to jump on it. And then I get it. And then that does nothing. And you're like, the, I, I have to throw a wooden stake at this circle. Okay, cool. And I only get one
0: shot at it, you know? Yeah, you just stand right next to it. That's the <laughs> that's the cheat code.
1: No, I mean, yeah, but I'm saying if you didn't know, you know, and you're just like throwing everything at it, you're like, okay, I'm supposed to
0: do this particular thing. Yeah, you have to go back and buy another one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, right. The, the, that's the key you need to basically unlock the the body part of Dracula that you need. And then there's these villages that all kind of have their own. They, you know, in terms of their aesthetics, they all look basically the same, but the kind of people you encounter in them are interesting. Like again, this is all a mood. Um, have you ever seen Nosferatu, the original, uh, sure, you yeah. know, silent movie? I feel like this game. Captures a lot of the essence of the beginning of that movie because that yeah. that movie, which is yes, it's Nosferatu. It's a it's a, it was literally an actionable copyright violation of Dracula. But the beginning of that story, it all takes place in this like blighted landscape in Transylvania. Sure. And like it, it just feels like evil on the screen, right? When you watch that movie, yeah. like you can sense the evil presence. Even this old silent movie. And I feel like the, the art direction of this game is, you know, when you're just wandering through the woods or kind of the areas outside of town, it has a little bit of that feel.
1: I love the art in all the Castlevania games. And I think they're really good at setting, you know, going with the music, setting that tone. And I mean, the colors like Simon himself is black, white and a little bit of red in the middle, you know, and it's just like there's something stark about it. And yeah, like this kind of general malaise of evil, obviously at night. It's more evil, but even during the day, you get that sense, like, this is a cursed
0: land. It's incredible that they're able to convey that with the 8-bit limitations of the NES, like, yeah. to get that tone across, between that and the music, right? Like, and the first thing I think of is, like, when you're in town, right, these towns are not inviting in any way. They, you know, They even when they are harmless, they appear menacing. Yeah. And the music, normally, you know, in a, in a video game, when you come into town there's like a peaceful tune that plays, you know, to let you know like, oh, okay, like if it's a Final Fantasy game or a Zelda game, when you're in town, it's this yeah. jaunty, happy, peaceful thing. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming in here into town to, you know, I'm going to buy a new sword and a potion yeah. and everything's fine. And you, when the music that plays in town, which I believe is called something like The Silence of Daylight, it's not outright, like, hostile, but there's, like, a quiet menace to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... And I think that's why these games have such staying power uh, and have made... had so many iterations over the years is because even compared to, like, a Ghouls and Ghosts, which was, I believe, Capcom's kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. response to this game, right? You know, it's monsters and and that kind of thing. I don't know, Monster Hunter... And that was a good, those were good games, and I liked those, but there's something about this Castlevania that just, it felt like it was like, okay, this is the prototypical, like, old universal monster movie kind of feel for a video game.
0: Yeah, Ghouls and Ghosts, or Ghosts and Goblins, any of that series, there's like a goofiness to them. Yeah. Which Castlevania goes for, I mean, there's a little goofiness, like sometimes you'll fight a Frankenstein in one of these games.
1: Mm. You know,
0: they, they, there is, like you said, the universal horror But generally, the types of things you encounter, there's not a lot of humor to them. The enemies are mostly kind of—they've almost got like a Ray Harryhausen feel Mm -hmm. to them, right? It's like you know, walking skeletons, werewolves, uh, you know, floating creepy eyeballs, bats. Like none of it looks cute, you know. And and the NES was capable of rendering very cute enemies. These are not meant to look cute. They are meant to look menacing.
1: Yeah. Like Mega Man was really good at uh, at cute enemies. Like, oh, these are gonna hurt me, but they're adorable, you know. But uh, yeah, this was this was a macabre. You know, this was like goth. This was real goth.
0: Oh, it's absolutely like traditional gothic, especially like I said in those towns, because yeah. that's the most plot and kind of flavor stuff you get for the most part is talking to these people, and you get a sense of like how miserable their lives are, even though they they you know they say very little um what is there is very evocative and there's lots of times you'll go into you know a, an open door and there'll be no one there and you have to use uh, your holy water to bust open the floor and yeah. go down and you go down a staircase and then somewhere down there there's a merchant or someone to talk to and it's like oh what this person is so afraid of what roams the land that he you know has basically boarded himself up in the basement. That's what he's doing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And they're creepy. Even the people are mostly creepy looking. There's like those dudes in the cloaks. There's the you know, the guy yeah. with the huge salali, like the stick, walking around. <laughs> yeah. There's that town that's like full of basically prostitutes.
1: Yeah. The boatman looks kind of scary. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, I'm... the boatman
0: like creepily laughs at you. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'll take. He literally says, "I'll take you somewhere safe." He 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 he. Like I don't know, Boatman. man. I don't know. There's nowhere safe to go in this game.
1: Yeah, except if you're trying to find bosses, because you're not going to find many.
0: Yeah, this game does not have many bosses. There, that is the weak point. Usually, Castlevania bosses are kind of like a you know a real showstopper. Uh, here, yeah. they they kind of look visually cool. They're not fun to fight. They're not interesting to fight. There's like, the creepy like floating. You know, black and white mask. That's probably yeah. my favorite of, of the bunch. Yeah.
1: And then there's the Grim Reaper, and then there's Dracula. That's it. That's it. And so some of these mansions, when, you, when you're when you done, you're like, oh, there's no boss. We're just done.
0: Yeah. I found the thing. Time to leave.
1: Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it, it feels like a real missed opportunity.
0: I mean, yeah. Again, the, the series is known for having a lot of these premier boss fights that are You know, if, if, you know, they're either really fun or they're a, at least a, you know, a spectacle and and here you're not really getting that. But again, I think that kind of, that's just not what this thing is about, right? It's, it again is that it's that feeling of being just lost and confused. And I, you know, you talk about like, well, you use Nintendo power. They didn't give you everything. They gave you like, you know, the first third, right? They gave you, you know, a push out the door. But yeah. this was in the days before the internet. So this was all about that like playground internet of like kids yeah. like, did you try, you know, did you equip the thing and then go into the graveyard and do the, th-, you know, as they're trying to, you know, decipher these misleading clues from the townsfolk and stuff. And sometimes the kids were right. And sometimes the kids were very wrong.
1: Oh yeah. I remember very specifically, uh, cause I didn't know, Uh, There there was some part of the game I I couldn't remember. or I didn't know how to do. And, like, my buddy's older brother had figured it out. And, like, that's how I found out, you know, stuff was... I forgot about back in the day how you would, like, share
0: tips with your friends. That was fun. I definitely remember conversations about that for, like, Zelda. Where it was like, you have to go burn this bush. And it'll open up a thing, you know. And you'd sit there with that candle and just burn every... Push you could every, on every push screen, the damn game <laughs> hoping for something to happen yeah this wasn't quite like that because it was more again more about these weird mysteries i mean there's there's one i had to write this down there's one villager that literally says get a silk bag from the graveyard duck to live longer all nonsense and i and i thought oh well let's see if, you know maybe it made more sense in the original japanese nope that's what it says in japanese too. go find the graveyard duck To to live longer, and what I thought maybe even if it's like a grammar error, you know, get us back from the graveyard, comma duck Duck. to live longer, verb duck. No, it's noun. It's the web-footed animal, and uh, you know, nonsense. You didn't, but you didn't know if it was nonsense or not. It could be anything. Some of the stuff in this game was, like I said, really obtuse.
1: Yeah, and it, it, I like your take on it about how, like, you know, feeling lost and confused and whatnot, which, uh, you know, I, I, I get that. I did not get that at the time, so I didn't quite appreciate it as much. I just remember uh, this game was, like, so frustrating in, in, in many ways. Uh, I loved it, but it was also, like, the kind of thing, like, you love to get mad at as well.
0: Yeah, this is why I felt it was, this was this unique kind of group play experience, right? I You know, I'd play a little of it at a friend's house, and then I'd go play it at my house and try... Oh, can I do that? Or maybe I can get a little farther and then I'll tell my friend about it. And the next time we'll both make more progress. There was this community of, you know, school kids, you know, eight-year-olds trying to figure out their way past all of these mysteries. Because if you actually know what you're doing, you know, you can beat this game in two, two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. You know, putting your mind to it. But you have to know the exact right thing to do in every pathway of the game.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, can we talk about the phenomenon? It was very interesting that there was just kind of a large um, pattern to uh, s- number two sequels in Nintendo, right? Like Super Mario Brothers 2 felt like a big departure from one. This felt like a departure from the first Castlevania. Zelda 2 was different from Zelda 1. Things of that nature. It was like It's like the, the video game companies said, let's experiment. Let's try something new, which is
0: cool. Yeah, although Super Mario Bros. 2 is a little bit of an outlier in that regard because it was never meant to be Super Mario Bros. 2. Do you know the sure. story? Yeah. So the, the old story, so if you don't know, um, there was a game called Super Mario Brothers. 2. It was released in Japan, and it was basically exactly like Super Mario Brothers. 1 but harder, you know, more of the yeah. same. And the Japanese thought, well, maybe the, the uh, pansies in the U.S. aren't going to like it. So they took this game called Doki Doki Panic, and said, there was a Japanese game, and they said, well, what if we swapped out the, the main character, four main characters of this game and just made them Mario characters? And yeah. now it's Mario on this adventure, which is why the control scheme is totally different. You know, there's almost none of that stuff ever shows up in any other Mario game. And when they went back to Super Mario Brothers 3, it's way more like 1 than it is 2. And Castlevania, yeah. same thing. Castlevania mm-hmm. 3, way more like 1. And the next Zelda game, A Link to the Past, was a lot yep. more like 1. Uh, So yeah, you're right. This this is this weird like trilogy of like these oddball entries, but I kind of loved all of those games because it was like, hey, let's try something new with this beloved character. We'll give you because that almost never happens where, uh, you know, a game company says we're going to make a sequel to this game. And usually it's like, how can we improve on what we did before? Not like, hey, we're going to take this character from this franchise and give you something that is a completely different set of verbs. And, yeah. and actions for this game, you know, it's, it, like Zelda Two, like you said, it's it's side scrolly most of the time. Zelda's usually in the old school. Zelda's were top down,
1: yeah. Like,
0: so it's like you completely change the the point of view from the character, the way you interact with the world, and now you've mm-hmm. got a new thing. Simon's quest doesn't change the way Simon Belmont moves; like he moves, and you know, just, you know, uh, throws his whip out there pretty much like yeah. he does in the first game. Uh, but again, it's that structure they hit on this, you know, this labyrinth yeah. that, the, that became the Metroidvania, which is one of the most popular genres now.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I agree with you, like all three of those sequels that we just talked about, I, I, I liked all of them. and I still do like all. Of them. In fact, I'm one of those weirdos that actually likes Zelda 2 more than the first Zelda, which I know is sacrilege, but like I just did. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, and that's why Castlevania 2 will always kind of stick out, because when I when I remember one and three, I get them swapped a lot just because they are kind of very similar in in tone and whatnot. I know there's differences, but that's something, but like this one always stands out as like very unique.
0: I appreciate that a lot more about this. And and again, we talked about this, but it turned out to be very influential in that way. Like there's so many games now that owe a debt to Castlevania two, not least of which was Castlevania symphony of the night, which was their kind of their big home run, which was had this basic structure. You were running around a, a castle that was this long labyrinth of you know way places you couldn't get to until you found the right tool for that that area and you could proceed and that game was you know widely considered one of the best ever made and that kind of catapulted the genre even further until you got started seeing this in in 3 in 3D so for example like kind of the one of the biggest games i think and most influential is dark souls when you Boot up Dark Souls, and after you get past the kind of tutorial area, you're dumped into this hub, which is just sort of like the towns in Castlevania 2, right? It's this safe haven, you know, Mm -hmm. where there's no enemies and respite. And you basically got two directions you can go in. And the game doesn't communicate, you know, they literally tell you go this way instead of that way. What they do is one of those paths has extremely hard enemies, which is their way of nudging you: don't go this way. But if yeah. you do go that way, there are rewards to doing it. And that in, si- in Simon's Quest, they don't quite go that far because you will eventually, if you go that way, you're going to reach something impassable. Yeah. But you know, they want you to to make that mistake. They want you to go down the wrong path, struggle for a while, and then you know backtrack to where maybe you should be. That is a yeah. big part of like the pleasure of this game. As opposed, it should be frustrating but it's not because it's meant to be like i said it's about setting that mood of like ooh okay this is this place is dangerous and i got to figure out where to go like it's it's yeah. the good kind of scared
1: yeah and and i think that there's that's why so many people are fans of those games that hold that kind of tension i remember in an interview with Trey Parker he was talking about uh him and Matt Stone play video games very differently He's like, if Matt plays a video game and he, he goes over to some part to search for something and there's nothing there, he's like, God damn it, there's nothing here. What a waste of time. Whereas I go, Ooh, there's nothing there. You know, <laughs> like it's intriguing. Uh,
0: that is a less is more kind of lesson. And I, you know, video games tend to not do that very often. It is kind of a maximalist pastime uh, in a lot yeah. of ways. You know, Call of Duty, shoot everything. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't play games that way, but I love when they subvert my expectation. Now, sometimes, yeah, going through a long challenge and getting a you know a shitty reward that is a bad feeling. I'm like, oh, come on, you made me yeah. work my way past all of this stuff, and this is all I find there is nothing. But a, a better example of this is uh, in going to Simon's quest is when you finally get to Dracula's uh, castle to you know yeah. burn the body parts and bring it back to life. In the original game, Dracula's castle is naturally the final level of the game As you work your way through it, multiple levels of it, and it gets harder and harder as you go, filled with the most difficult enemies, the hardest jumps to make, and you know all of the challenges ramped up to 11, right? Sure. Here, when you get to the castle, it's empty. It's yeah. just a walk from the door down some stairs and th- until you get to this altar right yeah. what a brilliant choice I love that it it's it's so understated and it's so counter you know to your expectations. It was yeah. just great like it made it feel more tense because you're just waiting for something to happen
1: i love i i you know hearing you appreciate this game gives me a new appreciation for it I think. <laughs>
0: Uh, I spend a lot of time listening to game podcasts. Uh, in fact, if you like them, I would recommend uh, watch out for Fireballs, which uh, our guest Cole Ross, who was on the on the Mist episode, uh, that's his show, and it is nice. uh, a delight. Also, Dave Jackson, who was on our Pokemon episode, hosts a, a great show called Tales from the Backlog. So, but getting back to this, like I think that's where I get a lot of my you know um, kind of the 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 lingual framework to like how do I describe this thing in a game. But yeah, uh, so to connect that again to, like, Dark Souls, one of the interesting things about that game is when you finally get to the last boss, he's sort of a pushover. Mm. And it's like, oh, it's this anti-climax, right? And instead of it being this, like, you know, Carmina Burana-type music starts, and you're going to, you know, fight the biggest monster in the world, it's this, like, kind of sad piano music as you take down this, you know, what was once this powerful being and is now, Uh you know... And it says a lot about the state that he's in, and like there's this emotional resonance to that moment. And very few games will take that risk. And Simon's quest, again, with that castle walk that is just barren. Yeah. And the, and the Dracula fight itself is not particularly hard. Especially right? if you
1: know which weapon to use.
0: <laughs> yes, if you if you yeah if you break the game by using that dagger on him, uh, he, he's going nowhere.
1: Or the holy water or the flame. I mean there's there's ways yeah. to like bake it to where like he doesn't even get a punch in.
0: Yeah, I never really had much trouble with him at all. Because I don't think that's the point, right? It's it's not you know, it sometimes it's triumphant to make to give you this chance to feel like, yeah, I wiped the floor with this thing, right? I because yeah. it it's not that's not the climax. The climax is making your way to this point, not the actual fight that's inside.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, overall fun game. I think we got to talk about the uh, the three endings. Yes. Real quick. Uh which is uh, two 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 bad, one good.
0: Basically. Again, based yeah. on how long it took you to complete the quest.
1: Yeah, so if you take the, you know, oh uh, if you go over a certain amount of time, the longest like the, uh, the you both died. Like Dracula dies and you die. Right. You I, died from
0: your wounds. Yep. that's part of the curse. I think it's maybe it's in the manual somewhere because sometimes these games would put part of their story in the manual, so you won't yeah. see it on screen. But it was like the, the idea that Simon's wounds from his original battle with Dracula won't heal. That's part mm. of the curse, which is again uh, very Lincoln Park and very uh, n- metal uh, yeah, in general. These weeping, you know, gashes on him or whatever. But yes, right. as you said, he yeah, the, they both are uh, slain, or he, he kills yeah. Dracula and then he d- succumbs to the curse.
1: Well, that's the second ending, right? Is the second ending is Dracula's dead but Simon lives but then he dies from the curse, right? Right. And then the other and then the best ending is Dracula dies, but then Simon actually lives.
0: <laughs> and then I believe that's also the ending though where after he walks away from the grave, it turns to <sighs> night and we see, yeah, Dracula's hand burst out of the ground, which is Yep. Cool. Um, which does not set up the third one because the third one is actually a prequel. Yes. Yeah. And it involves like his ancestor 100 years before these games.
1: Yeah, yeah, the story, because it's not Simon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is great. And it's, I mean, Castlevania is great. Three is really wonderful. I remember putting tons sure. of time into that one. It's extremely hard. Yeah, it is. Um, but, uh, but this game is kind of special because I, I can't think of any other NES games that kind of did what this thing did with tone. And that's its real secret sauce, right? The, the combat, the you know, the walking around is, you know, it's fine. Um, it, again, not terribly challenging, especially with how forgiving the deaths are. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I love about video games that other mediums you know, can't do as well, right? It's like what's unique to games. Um, games are able to set to make you feel things based on your actions right yeah. and the world they put you in it, it's one thing to you know to watch a movie and see someone you know uh, confront a monster and run away it's another to feel like okay i have to do it right i'm in the room with this thing and i have to kill it and it's trying to kill me and uh, this story won't progress until i do right M- movies and tv or books they're totally passive there there is no obstacle you're just going to keep watching and it's just going to unfold here it's like yeah. no no It's the only medium that fights back at you. um, Yeah. (laughs) To do that. But it's not just things like, you know, terror in the face of combat. Like games are able to do all sorts of things with environmental storytelling and music and mood in ways that movies, TV, and books and other mediums cannot.
1: Absolutely. And like you said earlier, uh, hats off to this game, particularly for being able to set the horror motif so well, you know, with eight bits of data.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, the the NES is so limited in terms of its technical capabilities, but that's why I think this game is really unique, because most NES games didn't even go for much in the way of tone. Usually the tone was, wee, cartoons are jumping. Yeah. And so to even try anything approaching this, the ones I can think of are maybe things like Shadowgate and Deja Vu, these like point and click type games. But I'd say rare. Ninja
1: Gaiden did a good job of it with the uh, the the theatrical whatever the the cut scenes, scenes the cutscenes. Yeah. yeah um, which but... For
0: non-video game folks, that's like basically where the the game the gameplay stops, and they show you a little movie for a minute to tell the story, yeah. and then the gameplay resumes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ninja Gaiden was a pioneer in in doing that. You're right; those yeah. games do actually they do a very good job of setting tone an environmental storytelling kind of the way this is just the art design tells you a lot yeah. about the world but again the, this particular mood that this game sets is very unique and i don't think we we saw anything much like this again until maybe even like the like the 2000s when or, or at least the at least the, the late 90s when you get things like silent hill
1: yeah, yeah, things of that nature. I'd say even like Halo, which wasn't the same, but, you know, when the the zombie part of Halo does kind of set that zombie mood s- similar but different.
0: Yeah, my, I think my favorite parts of games lately are not the loud parts but the quiet parts, where, where a game has kind of the confidence to go, hey, we're going to have you stop shooting, running, jumping, whatever the verbs are of the game, and maybe something different is going to happen. That's quiet. So like a a good example of this I love is uh, in uh, the third Uncharted game. You you know, a lot of that's basically like uh, Indiana Jones style. Yeah. Whiz bang action, you know, archaeology stuff. And you go through this whole thing where you're, you know, you're on a a plane that crashes. uh, You know, it's very exciting. The plane crashes in the middle of the desert. And then the game says, you know what? We're going to have no combat for a while. It's We're just going to have a chapter of this game that's you walking in the desert, Experiencing some mirages and hallucinations and stuff, and it's all just character building and story. And uh, you know that you look at like the success of a show like The Last of Us, right? That game mm-hmm. lives. You know, yes, the combat is cool and fun, and it's neat to sure. outwit people and in infected monsters. But that the the writing, the acting, and again those quiet moments where the characters are just maybe just walking through an area and talking to each other. Yes. That's when I get the most interested which is like, oh, okay. They're 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 going to let they're going to let this happen. They're going to trust that I'm not going to lose interest simply because I'm not jumping, running, shooting, do you know, it's okay. We'll we'll get back to that in a minute. You're going to trust me the player to sit back and enjoy, you know, what else you can do.
1: And both those games that you mentioned the Uncharted series and
0: uh The Last of Us I about,
1: and in Last of Us like they're both extremely well-told stories, right? You care about the characters, you care about the stories. Great storytelling, and so when you have those quiet moments, it does matter to you because you care about this this character. And what's even more impressive about Castlevania too is that you know it couldn't tell you a story as much because it didn't have as much text or it certainly didn't have voices. But you you hit the nail on the head when you said the tone. The tone brings you into the world so much that it tells this story. Through how it sounds and how it looks.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the miracle of this thing, and I think that's why people are still talking about it because, like, this was if you've ever heard of like the angry video game nerd.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. I watched it.
0: These guys do these YouTube videos where they just you know crap on bad games, which is funny and fine. Um, this was his first video. What was, yeah, this I, game.
1: I rewatched it. it. He made that video in two thousand five. That right. when YouTube literally came out.
0: Yeah, and. You know, people will crap on this game. And and there's plenty of things to criticize about it, right? It's it's far from perfect, especially with how obtuse it is. But I think the things it gets right are why the thing has such a kind of a long tail and a legacy. Despite all of those flaws.
1: And there were plenty of games that didn't make it past the second sequel. You know, the fact that Castlevania is, you know, still talked about as one of the great game franchises you know is it could have died with this game if this game wasn't memorable you know there a third one wasn't guaranteed
0: and and, and again that when they eventually did symphony of the night which i believe is 97
1: mm-hmm.
0: that was this you know huge runaway success for them and and still very much talked about as like you know one of the best examples of this genre and it was because they went back to this formula that they had previously thought, well, this wasn't as well received, we'll go back to doing what we normally do. That got stale. This didn't, right? Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think there's something about that Metroidvania structure that uh, is really appealing. In fact, a lot of indie games, it's like, oh, it's another one of, it's another Metroidvania again. It's, yeah. I think, easier for small studios to make these. Um, and there's a lot of great ones out there. Um, I highly recommend Hollow Knight. If you have a chance to play that, go immediately and go play that. It's phenomenal. Uh, if you want something that feels more like this, go get Infernax, which is a throwback. It's, you know, 8-bit style. It's like, oh, what if someone made Simon's Quest and Zelda 2 but fixed all of the things that were bad about those games Oh wow. uh, and, and made it really funny? Like, immediately go pick that up. It's such an easy recommendation. Um, go get that game. Uh, but... But again, it's like that that victory in terms of, like we said, tone, structure. It set this thing apart, and you look at all of these successful things that have come since, and it's like, man, how many of these designers must have grown up butting their heads up against Simon's Quest?
1: Absolutely, yeah. No, this was one of the great uh, influencer games for the next generation of game makers, 100%. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anything else we want to say about Simon's Quest? I think we've kind of covered it. This might be a short episode.
1: One other random thing I want to throw in there is that uh, uh, Simon Belmont was always my favorite uh, Belmont just because of Captain N, the Game Master. Oh,
0: yes, we have to talk about Captain N. I I did watch a little clip of uh, that. So Captain N, for... This might be worth its own episode someday, but basically it was this kid who's sucked into video game world and uh, Nintendo world, basically, and all of his allies are... It's like Mega Man and Simon Belmont, and I think Link uh, from Legend of Zelda. Um, you know, a few, a couple of these like marquee video game characters go up against Mother Brain, who is the the bad guy from uh, Metroid. Metroid, and and she has a couple of other henchmen from other Plant
1: Wizard and you know. from Kid Icarus. Yeah. Yep.
0: And uh, yeah, so Simon Belmont is in the mix, although his character is very different from the tone we get in this game. He's this like, go ahead.
1: Yeah, he's like bumbling, you know, he's, he's like that he looks like the part of an adventure, but he's often, you know, kind of cowardly and bumbling and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, his design looks like what if Launchpad McQuack was a human instead of a duck? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, but he's very like, he's super vain and yeah. just like, inept, just, you know, he, he projects the idea of a hero. And that's kind of the satire of it, of course, that he's, he's not.
1: Your kingship, I humbly accept the gifts you have come to bestow upon my heroic head. Imposter! Fraud! Thief! No, it's me, Simon Belmont, vampire hunter. See? I see the grandson of a coward who stole the glory after I defeated the vampire count. Ooh, ooh. Ah. There must be some mistake, Your Highness. The mistake was made by the House of Belmont. I curse them with a thousand years of shame
0: you Think anyone heard what I he
1: said?
0: Yeah, I can't. I was trying to find if there was anything in there in Captain N that directly referenced Simon. I did find some stuff that repre- rec- uh, uh, referenced Castlevania 3, but I couldn't oh. find any stuff that, yeah, like there's an episode where like Alucard, Dracula's son, shows up. There's a couple of things from Castlevania 3 in it, but I didn't remember seeing anything from uh, from 2. I don't
1: remember any specifics either.
0: It had to be in there though, because that thing was purely marketing. That's all it was.
1: Well, every cartoon in the eighties was purely marketing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no question. Although I don't remember them selling a lot of like Captain N like action figures and stuff. It was just like if maybe they, did, one they play didn't the come games. to mind.
1: I never saw them. Yeah, but I mean, you know, they, I guess their thing was just bringing more awareness to Nintendo.
0: Yeah, well, they didn't need much help in that department because for a long time they had no competition just of of any notoriety uh yeah. until sega kind of started nipping at their heels a little bit a little bit yeah and now nintendo owns them so they drank their milkshake <laughs> yeah uh gosh anything else you want to say about simon's quest before we kind of bring this to a close i mean we, we sort of talked about it a lot but why, why do you think that uh you know, people are still talking about simon's quest in 2023
1: you know i mean i again i, I think it, it's back to that it was just it, it was stand out so different they took a big risk with this game and where there were a lot of parts to it that frustrated a lot of people that uh the things that stayed as you said really influenced a lot of game makers and influenced obviously the castlevania uh, series at that point and a whole new genre of game and uh you remember it right like i played a lot and we both played a lot of games as kids And a lot of them kind of meld together because they're all side-scrolling, shoot-the-bad-guy kind of thing. And this game stood out as unique.
0: I think this game has stood the test of time despite its flaws um, because of its unique design. It's sort of, um, as we said, it's victory in terms of being able to convey a tone uh, without much text and only through sort of environment and mood. Uh, And, you know, I just keep going back to, I mean, I'm a lifelong gamer. I love talking about games. I'd I'd love to do more games on this show. And uh, every time I sit down to play a new game, uh, I'm so often reminded of this one. There's so often that I'll see an echo of something from Simon's quest in something modern and think this, this wouldn't exist without some influence from this old game and I pair that with kind of these happy childhood memories of playing it, of being lost and flummoxed and, uh, you know, not knowing what to do and making discovering these counterintuitive solutions, either myself or, you know, finding out from a friend's brother that felt like, oh, I'm felt like breaking into Fort Knox to find find these secrets and, and know what to do. Um, I think that's a high. That a lot of my video game time has been spent chasing. I love the, I think the games I love the most are the ones that replicate that emotion, that that feeling of discovery, that feeling of you know you know walking into a dark forest and not knowing what's gonna be there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's what uh, that's what's kept Simon's quest alive uh, all these years later. Love it. Uh, so Rich, if people want to find you, where will they find you?
1: Uh, you can see uh, anything anytime I have a performance or a class or a workshop or anything like that. I always put it on my social media at Rich Baker Coaching, or you can uh, get links to all that at uh, www.richbakercoaching.com.
0: And uh, and of course, if you like us, get a silk bag from the graveyard. <laughs> no, um, uh, if you like us, uh, please uh, drop us a review if you haven't done that already. And if you've been enjoying the show, go ahead and do it. It helps uh, people find out about the show. And uh, of course, uh, word of mouth would be great. Just tell your friends, uh, uh, you know, this is going on, and it might be something they like. Especially, you know, there's a, we've covered a whole range of different topics now. So if this one's not your cup of tea, maybe the other one is, or you know, um, so uh yeah leave us a review on itunes or podcast addict or wherever you happen to find it if you have feedback tweet it to us at nostalgia pod or find us on instagram and uh, please follow us there because i do post bonus stuff uh over there from time to time so uh and this episode uh was again we call them all audible so in terms of what's next uh things are a little out of order but you just heard um uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Superman before that uh, coming up next I believe if I've done my math right is our special on Jurassic Park where you'll Ooh. hear Rich again um, yep. and us uh, celebrate the 30th anniversary of that film and then coming up after that in uh, an order I'm not entirely sure of uh, we're planning on doing an episode on Rocky 4 uh, we're planning on doing doing one uh, uh, another musical episode about our favorite Disney songs uh, we've got one, we still got that Terminator 2 episode uh, locked and loaded working on one on the far side. Really neat stuff. So Ooh, nice. yeah, uh, so cool stuff uh, as always uh, in the future for the show. So I really appreciate it. Uh, Rich, thanks again for coming on. We always love that.
1: Always a pleasure, here. Doug. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. And uh, until uh, the morning sun vanquishes the horrible night, <laughs> uh, this has been one more entry in the Nostalgia of
1: You left him for dead in Konami's Castlevania. How foolish to presume he'd perish without ugly a curse. For now, in Simon's quest for Nintendo, fate stalks your very being. And you need more than clues from cowardly villagers to survive when day turns into night. But just keep telling yourself it's only a video game. It's only a... Huh? <laughs>